Welcome, listeners, to Cults Anon, the new podcast about cults. The first rule of Cults Anon is that we don't talk about cults. And the second rule of Cults Anon is that we don't talk about cults. I'm your host, Bailey Rivers. Let's talk about cults. In this new podcast, we look at cults from the perspective of recovery, like a support group for people who no longer want to be in a cult. And if that is something that you are interested in, then you, dear listener, are in the right place. Here at Cults Anon, we strive for personal autonomy, individual enlightenment and empowerment through knowledge and the pursuit of truth. In this first episode of Cults Anon, we are going to examine the age-old question, what is a cult? Here at Cults Anon, we utilize the BITE model of behavioral analysis introduced by Stephen Hassan, behavioral analyst who has done several decades of cult deprogramming work after he himself realized that he had been indoctrinated into uh, the South Korean cult of Reverend Moon, uh, aka the Moonies. Once he realized the Moonies was a cult, he was able to escape. And then based on his personal experiences, he developed the bite model to help people identify when a community, a healthy, supportive, good community has possibly turned down the path or was already on the path when you encountered it of becoming a toxic, controlling, exploit cult. How can you recognize that? How can you avoid it? Stephen Hassan has asserted, and we here at Cults Anon tend to agree, that cults are about two things primarily. They are about power and they are about control. And in order to have total power over their members, the authoritarian leaders or leader of a cult organization or group will exert different methods of control over those members. So it is through the control that they gain the power. And this process of controlling people in order to have power over those people is called brainwashing. That's what brainwashing is. So what are the types of control that Stephen Hassan identified that a cult leader will exercise over the followers or the victims of the cult? Hassan says that it's four types of control. The behavior control, the information control, the thought control, 
and the emotional control. Thus, the BITE or B-I-T-E model of cult control. And we will go into, in this episode, the specifics of what each type of control looks like and how it could possibly manifest in a community space. In addition to the original theory of the bite model proposed by Stephen Hassan, we here at Cultsanon consider a fifth method of control that Stephen Hassan doesn't specifically mention, but is often present in cult organizations, and that is spiritual control. So we use a slightly alternate to the bite model. We use the bites model. What are some examples of what this control can look like? Beginning with behavior control, within the context of a cult or an extremely controlling group or society, an authoritarian power or an authority within the group will often tell other members where to go and not go. There will be forbidden places, forbidden areas of the compound. It's forbidden to go into the city. It's forbidden to leave your house at certain times. It's forbidden to leave your room at certain times. They will control who you talk to and who you are friends with and who you marry. So often within authoritarian groups, it's the leader that decides who gets married to who among the followers and when they get divorced and who is appropriate for a person to be friends with. Often victims of a cult will be told that they're not able to identify who are their real friends And so they have to listen to what the authoritarian or the authority within the group says are their real friends, that kind of thinking. Often cult groups will steal children from their own members. They will remove children from members who are no longer deemed worthy or at times children are frequently separated from their parents because the parents are being forced to do extreme amounts of labor for the cult or the authority within the cult. Cults and cult authorities often control the physical appearance of their members. They will tell their members how to dress, what clothing to wear, how to manage their personal hygiene, how to wear their hair. Personal grooming and style is not up to the individual. It is up to the authority. That's a sign of behavior control. The denial of food, just the outright denial of food, 
or being forced to eat rotten food, being forced to eat spoiled food. And in extreme cases in cults, it's not uncommon to have victims, particularly children, be forced to eat rotten food. And then if they throw up, uh, authoritarian forces within that cult, whether it be even just that child's parent, will force that child to eat the vomit. It's the denial of, of the basic humanity of the member of the cult. And in that same kind of vein of the denial of food goes the denial of sleep and the denial of medical care. So there will be an overall, don't go to the doctor, never trust the doctor. There may be some kind of alternative holistic medicine that is being sort of pushed on people within the cult, but that's often not like some holistic type medicine that, that's real healthcare that can really help people. And within the dynamic of a cult, any kind of medicine that comes in holistic or otherwise is, is not going to be good for anybody because the cult leaders want their members to, to be weak, physically weak, mentally weak, and to be ill, really, so that it's just makes them easier to control and have power over. And that's it always comes back down to the control. Everything is about the control. In that same vein is the fear, isolation, violence, and intimidation. There will be a, an almost constant state of fear and that constant state of fear is maintained through the use of isolation and then violence and intimidation. These violences and these intimidations can often take the form of sexual assault and rape. So we see a culture of rape, a culture of people not having the ability to consent. The rape culture is a culture in which not only women have no ability to consent, but no one has an ability to consent in the cult. And that's how we often see cults culminate in just the horrific sexual abuse of, of, of the children within the cult. And that is a direct result of this just the extreme behavioral control and the extreme fear and the extreme violence and the extreme intimidation. Rape and sexual assault of children is the most extreme form of control that you can do to a human being. And then, of course, corporal punishment. So beatings, physical violence, discipline, but the discipline is, is very physically harsh to the point of people bleeding, often in public, often this is done in public in front of other members of the cult, and that's part of the fear and the intimidation. And it's all about control. You just want to remember all of these things are very horrifying, but the, the horror is intentional because it's about control. And then to go along with the denial of food, the denial of sleep, and the denial of medical care is the forced labor. There'll always be intense forced labor within the cult. People will be forced to do a lot of labor. A lot of times this labor is entirely pointless and unnecessary, but it's just sort of to exhaust you, to 
suck out your energy to waste your time to control you. It's just the behavior control. As long as you're putting all of your thought and time and energy into doing something that you think is a job, but it's not actually ever accomplishing anything that can be extremely frustrating. And that's one of the many behavioral toxic pits of the cult. And then of course there's the mon- the monetary control and the denial of money. So forced labor, but for slave wages always, right? Like they make you sign a billion year contract with Scientology and they pay you nothing. Um, and they make you work like 12 hour days. They separate you from your children. It's classic, classic cult. And then there will sometimes be interspersed here, random moments of sympathy and what's what appears to be empathy, what appears to be kindness after all of this abuse and this authoritarian control, every once in a while, the authority and the cult will offer some breadcrumb of affection or approval or some kind of false empathy that just gives the victim just enough hope that maybe something might change in the future if they try just a little bit harder and they keep putting up with the abuse just a little bit longer. But of course, that breadcrumbing, we know to be a lie. And that is the trauma bond that we have to be very careful of when dealing with cults. Now, moving on to the information control. So that is the behavioral control that an authority within a cult will establish over their victims and their members. Now, the information control centers around withholding information that undermines the cult. So there's very much within the cult going to be a sense of the fear of information, the fear of knowledge, the fear of learning, uh, a sense that any information that you might get from a source other than the authority of the cult is a liar, that it will always be bad and nefarious no matter what it is. And then the distortion or the spinning of what information does get through to the cult members. So they instill within their members a sense of immense distrust in any source of information except for the authority of the cult. What information comes from the authority is distorted and spun with the control and the advantage of the authority in mind at all times. And then systematically lying and spreading false information. So the systematic and intentional spread of false information and lying. We see this again in Scientology with L. Ron Hubbard, David Muscovich, and Project Snow White, where members of the Church of Scientology were actually given the mission of becoming spies and embedding themselves in various branches of the United States government, including the National Archives and Records Administration, with the express mission by the Church of Scientology 
to find the records of L. Ron Hubbard and change them so that his, for example, his like dishonorable discharge from the Navy or whatever, like never gets discovered, like all of that stuff. Like they tried to rewrite history. So that's how systematic the lying can become that like members of the cult are literally being given the secret mission to infiltrate the United States government and change the literal government archive records about their cult leader just to make him look better than he was and go into his lies. So the distortion and the spinning of what information there is. And then of course, members are encouraged to spy on each other and betrayal is a constant. So you are constantly being betrayed, constantly being set against other members. Members are constantly being played against each other by leadership. There's, of course, levels of authority within the cult, and the upper levels of authority will set the next level of authority against each other, and so on and so forth, down the down line. Of course, within most cults, there's no external media, TV, or news. They don't want you to trust the lamestream news, <laughs> as it's often called. And then finally, often the authority within a cult will encourage members to cut off contact with outsiders so that you're not getting the trickle of information like, oh, my sister-in-law told me such and such about L. Ron Hubbard. You'll never get that kind of word of mouth trickle of information as long as all of the members within the cult have cut ties to anyone outside of the cult. Moving on to thought control. Some elements of the thought control that authorities within cults exercise over their members in order to have power over them is when external control, so everything that we were just talking about with the information control and the behavior control, when all of those things become internalized by the victim or the member of the cult. When you begin policing yourself, right? When you have cut off all contact with outsiders and you no longer trust the information and you only believe the distorted truth provided to you by the authority of the cult, the cult authority now has thought control over you. They don't have to force you to do these behaviors. They don't have to force you to not eat and not sleep and not have medical care. They don't have to force you to do all this work. You will willingly do all of these things because you've just been beaten down so thoroughly that it's easier to just do what the authority is telling you, even when the authority is not there. The act of not thinking is actively encouraged in a cult. People are often blamed in a cult for creating their own negative reality by having negative thoughts. And this kind of toxic positivity leads to a victim blaming where people within a cult are being abused, beaten, raped, exploited, 
of course, they're going to have negative thoughts about these things. They're going to be very unhappy. They're going to be very frightened. Uh, they're going to be very intimidated. This is all intentional. And then the cult authorities, in order to control the thoughts of their members, will encourage those bad thoughts are the problem, not the behaviors of the cult authority causing the bad thoughts. That's not the problem. The bad thoughts are the problem. And if you could just get control of the bad thoughts, then the bad behaviors will stop. That is the authoritarian victim blaming mentality. Those thoughts are a result of the toxic abusive behaviors of the cult. But it just goes back to the idea that the authority has more power over the victim than the victim. So everything the authority does, the victim just has to accept. That's gaslighting, right? It's that sense that like, it's not me beating you that's making you feel bad. It's just that you feel bad about me beating you. You know, obviously you just need to accept that that's just what my position is in the world is that I'm just going to beat you. And, you know, how is that a gift to you? That's what you need to understand that. And that is actually a very common kind of gaslighting type thought process that is put on victims of physical abuse, both in a cult and in a domestic violence situation, tragically. And then, of course, there is the us versus them binary thinking it is reductionist and it is reactionary. It's not a matter of the members of the cult are just part of a complicated world. It's there's us, the cult, and there's everybody else and everybody that's not in the cult is against us. Us versus them. Of course, people who are not in the us versus them mentality have a more nuanced and reasonable perception of the world and understand that the world is a, is a wide and varied place and not everybody is going to be your best friend and also not everybody is going to be your worst enemy. That most people are going to be largely indifferent to you, but certainly most people are not against you, despite what the cult leaders may say. And then moving on to emotional control. Cults often want to stop their victims from feeling the negative emotions that the abuse elicits. So just like what we were talking about with the thought control, the emotional control is the emotional side of that. So don't think these bad thoughts like, gee, I shouldn't be beaten by you, you know, but also don't feel these bad emotions like anger, that uh, I'm being beaten by you, you know, um, they don't want you to feel those things. They, they stigmatize and punish people for feeling those things. For example, I think it's uh, tragically somewhat common in Amish, uh, very fundamentalist Amish communities, that if there is a rape or sexual assault that happens in the parish or the church that uh, the community is made aware of, the victim of that assault will have to get up in front of the entire church assembly and thank their rapist. This is a thing that happens. So 
that's disturbing and that's uh just another sign of the emotional the extreme emotional abuse and emotional control that is being weaponized against victims of cults and then fear is of course the primary method of emotional control and thought control it's hard to think or feel anything when you're very very afraid as long as you're in a state of just really extreme fear you won't be able to think and you won't be able to feel any emotion other than fear it's very overpowering it really drowns out everything else and that's really what they want the authoritarian leaders of cult organizations And then going hand in hand with the gaslighting and the victim blaming and the fear is the extreme self-criticality, right? Everything bad that happens to you is your fault. And it is never the fault of the perpetrator. It is always the fault of the victim in whatever situation is happening within the cult. I think one thing to uh, kind of keep in mind about the fear I like to think of that JFK quote, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. The, the fear is both a warning, you know, if you're in extreme fear, that's not normal. Even if you've been in extreme fear your entire life, that's not normal. And it's a sign that you need to leave. It's a sign that you're not safe and you need to get out. But unfortunately, it is also the fear can be the thing that paralyzes you and keeps you in place. The extreme fear. It's just, it's both. It's like, it is both like pain. You know, it is both the warning that you need, that you need to take action, but it can also be the thing that prevents you from taking that action because it is so painful. It is so overwhelming to experience that kind of fear. But clearly the idea that JFK presented, you know, that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself was quite a threat to authoritarian power structures, so much so that they assassinated him shortly after he said that. But his voice lives on and his memory lives on and his message lives on. In addition, I would just like to go into a little bit more the spiritual control aspect of the bites theory is an addition that we here at cults anon have added and not part of the original stephen hassan model so some forms of spiritual control and abuse are of course the threats of hellfire and eternal damnation about everything (laughs) from you know the clothes that you wear to who you have relationships with to just everything that we just talked about the emotional control the thought control the information control and the behavior control but on top of that if you don't conform to all of these methods of control you will go to hell and not only will you be punished in this physical world in this lifetime but your eternal soul will be punished and in fear and in pain for all of eternity. So just turn turn it up times a thousand, right? And then the abuse and exploitation of spiritual teachings 
So just like with the information control, the withholding of certain information and the distorting of other information and the systematic lying and spreading of fake information, all of that can be done with spiritual teachings. So often Christian cults will take snippets of the Bible and then distort that message to basically say the opposite of what within the context of the Bible it actually said, which is how we get there to be such a huge following of the prosperity gospel when Jesus was about as anti-money and as pro-communism as it's possible to get. I mean, Jesus makes Marx look like a a fascist pig, you know? <laughs> like, And yet, and yet, look at what has happened with the Catholic Church. So that's spiritual abuse and spiritual control. And then there is the act of shunning and isolation from the community, which could also... Like all, all these forms of control, they kind of go hand in hand. They all happen together. They're all interwoven. People's behavior, their information, their thoughts, their emotions, and their spirituality are all intertwined. So the shunning and the isolation from the community is a form of behavior control and a form of information and thought and emotional control and spiritual control. And then there is the spiritual bypassing, which is just that mentality of I'm really a more spiritually realized person than you are, so I can be abusive to you because I'm a more spiritually realized person. And you're obviously just like not, not as spiritual as I am based on just my own perception of my spirituality. And those would be an overview of the common methods of behavioral information, thought, emotional, and spiritual control used by authoritarian cults to gain absolute power over their members. Now, without the Bites model of control and power over the members, a group or community does not meet the requirements of being a cult. We will go into some other common cult elements, but it's important to keep in mind that although these elements are often part of the equation of what makes up a cult, without the Bites model of power and control, a group is not a cult. There are religious organizations that follow a charismatic leader, and that charismatic leader does not exercise any kind of authoritarian control over their followers, so it's not a cult, even though it does have a charismatic leader. And that is one of the many common elements of a cult is a charismatic leader. Another is a religious or spiritual cosmology of some kind that the group must follow. Again, it's possible to have that and not have a cult. These elements, when combined with the Bites model, is what makes it toxic, right? So religion, spirituality, charisma, these things on their own are not inherently dangerous or bad. 
But when coupled with the bites model, when coupled with the control and the pursuit of power, they become very toxic combinations. Another element is geographic isolation. Often cult groups will be geographically isolated. They'll be on a compound. They will try to remove themselves. You know, famously, Jonestown, Jim Jones relocated those people to an island in order to have that control. But of course, you could, there's many places that are in remote locations that are not cults, right? So again, it has to be paired with the Bites model. And then group thinking is prioritized over individual thinking in a cult. So often you are told you need to put your own desires aside and do what's best for the community. But ironically, within the toxic bites structure, it's not really what's best for the community. It's just what's best for the authority, the cult authority, the leader or whoever. And then costumes or uniforms, it can be a sign. It's something I think it's overblown a little bit because a lot of people wear uniforms, but it can be a sign to keep in mind if you also see the bites model. Really, it's the bites model that you need to be concerned about. But these other elements can signify a cult. Some examples of cults that you may be familiar with include the People's Temple, which was the church founded by Jim Jones that later became Jonestown. Scientology, the Church of Scientology founded by L. Ron Hubbard. The Mormons, or the Church of Latter-day Saints, the Children of God, the Rajneeshis, the Moonies, Fundamentalist Amish and Mennonite, the Nation of Islam, the KKK, and Nexium, that corporate cult. You know, Scientology is almost a corp. It is kind of a corporate cult, but Nexium even more so. So I hope that with this information on the bites model of power and control you dear listener are able to identify toxic authoritarian spaces going forward and you are able to avoid those spaces and maintain your personal peace and your personal autonomy remember information is power, autonomy is sacred, and joy is the antidote to fear. In the words of Mary Oliver, you do not have to be good. You just have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Join me next week when we discuss the infamous People's Temple Cult its psychopathic leader, Jim Jones, and the grim series of events that culminated in the greatest loss of American life in a single incident before 9-11, when over 600 people were forced at gunpoint to drink poisoned flavor aid and died, including over 200 children. Until next time, stay ungovernable. Bye, everybody. Bye.